Tonight, healthy minds and thriving kids. With a new school year upon us and American children facing a mental health crisis, PBS shares critical resources available for students of all ages. From managing intense emotions to relaxation skills, expert tips, and advice everyone should know, as Metrofocus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, estate of Roland Carlin. Good evening and welcome to Metrofocus. I'm Jack Ford. American children are experiencing a mental health crisis. It's something that affects families everywhere. The challenges brought on by the pandemic have only exacerbated the problem, creating an urgent need for support and solutions. Now, PBS is providing free resources for families through a project called Healthy Minds Thriving Kids, which is developed by the Child Mind Institute, a leader in the field of child psychology. These resources are now available to everyone through the PBS Learning Media website. They include a series of videos for parents, educators, and students that teach children critical mental health and coping skills. Let's take a quick look at one of those videos for middle schoolers talking about how to manage and control intense emotions. I just felt like screaming at the top of my lungs. I want to be happy, but sometimes those thoughts just overpower your happiness and it feels like you'll never be happy. I had a very, uh, like, disturbing point of view to stuff. It was always violence was the answer. If they're not going to stop, then pain will stop it. These urges can feel all-consuming. But here is the good news. Your body often can't keep up with that level of intensity for too long. No feeling lasts forever, even if you feel like it will. And if we can ride out these big emotions like a wave, their intensity will decrease over time. I feel like the more and more I go, it just gets more manageable. And, you know, you just have to take a break. I just got to let time go, and over time it'll get better. One strategy to ride the wave of these feelings is to focus on a sensory experience that will help tie you to the world around you. For example... Music just puts me in a mood changer every day. Like candles or even essential oils and just sniffing them. <laughs> At school, they teach us a starfish motion where we go like that and just trace around our fingers as starfish and that helped me a lot. I like dark chocolate, but not too dark. I take bit by bit, and like just on one piece, and I just focus. Instead of having like a mouthful and just a bunch of um, flavor, it's, yeah, it's more relaxing if you just have like bit by bit. Sometimes when I'm really angry, I decide to use that in a good way to do workout. After that, then all my anger was burned out and I felt fine. Looking at pictures of your family, listening to music you enjoy, tasting some comfort food, smelling perfume or a candle, all these things can help you ride out overwhelming emotions. So I play soccer. So like kicking the ball makes like 
it's like I'm putting the energy into the soccer ball and I'm just kicking it away. And joining us now to talk about kids' mental health and the resources available from PBS Learning in Partnership with the Child Mind Institute is the founding president of the Child Mind Institute, Dr. Harold Koplowitz. Doctor, it's always a pleasure to see you. Jack, it's a pleasure. Let's start off with some context for our conversation here and for the project and the partnership. And that is to talk about just how big a problem this has become in terms of children's mental health. I think we should start with the fact that pre-COVID, we already had a big problem. Uh, suicide rates for young people had gone from 4,000 uh, deaths to 6,600 deaths from 2014 to 2016. The number of kids going to emergency rooms after attempts or severe suicidal thought went from 600,000 a year to 1.2 million. That's one every 30 seconds. And that's before COVID hit. And COVID is toxic. COVID made kids and made adults feel unsure, unsettled, and more anxious, even if they didn't have a mental health disorder. And considering that only 30% of the kids who do have mental health disorders in the United States get any treatment, those other 70% have become much more symptomatic. But even if you had the most resilient, delightful, robust child coming out of COVID after two years of either not going to school or hybrid school or worried that your grandmother or grandfather would die, or the fact that 170,000 kids lost a caregiver, became a real problem to get them back in school. And our idea was, how do you take mental health fitness skills that we've been doing for years and teaching teachers about in person, how do you take it to scale? And that's how we came up with Healthy Minds Thriving Kids. I'm going to come back to that in one second, but I'm, I'm curious about something you just said when you were talking about the numbers. The numbers are frightening. Are, have you, those of you who, who live in this world and study this world and look for treatments, have you been able to pinpoint some causes for these, these dramatic increases? Well, I, I think these numbers are incredibly upsetting. And if you thought about any other set of diseases that had a mortality rate that jumped by 50% or a morbidity rate that doubled, it would make the front page of every newspaper and it would be on the news 24 seven. And since it's mental health disorders, I think America's had a lot of trouble grab, you know, wrapping their head around this. And the only silver lining, as far as I'm concerned of COVID has been that people are talking about children's mental health. But let's go back to the 2014, 2018 change. The only big difference in society that occurred was social media and the internet. And if you realize that our brains evolved for us to know very few people very well, and in about 2011, we got a device that connected us to every human on the planet 24-7, that is a big change. And the fact that our kids, especially preteens and teenagers, got a hold of this, and in many ways, uh, we exposed them to a jungle. And jungles have nutritionists, nutritional and wonderful things in it, and it has dangerous things. They have snakes and animals and things that can kill you. And unfortunately, uh, we didn't put any safeguards on this. We just said to parents, you know, it's your responsibility to make sure that your kid doesn't get hurt by social media. And we have figured out, I think most recently with Surgeon General Murthy, that 20% of kids have had ill effects. 
We know that there are kids who are watching uh, or participating in social media six to eight hours a day and have problematic internet usage. And the more hours you spend on that, the less hours you are in, in real life interactions, the less hours you're exercising and the less hours you sleep. And all three of those things are essential for healthy brain development. So while I can't prove, and there isn't a scientist out there that can say it was social media that did this, there is correlation here. And if we didn't change the telephone wires and we didn't change the water supply and somehow this whole effect happened to our entire nation, then you have to think that the only major change was social media. And this is completely, you know, off the topic of healthy minds thriving kids. But I think the fact that the Surgeon General has put out an advisory, it reminds me of Everett Koop when he started making us, you know, be aware of cigarettes. And even though a Surgeon General doesn't have any legal teeth, doesn't have a budget, by the time Coop was done, we had warning labels on cigarettes. We don't smoke in hospitals, in schools, on airplanes. Smoking rates have gone down. And he got the CEOs of all three big tobacco companies to raise their hand to Congress and say, I didn't know. Well, they now knew. I certainly think that the tech industry can't regulate itself. And I think the good news is that states, state legislatures and maybe the feds are thinking about the difference that a social media intervention has with a child or a teenager versus what it has with an adult. So those algorithms are very dangerous. And yeah. I think it's this is a warning because the numbers are not going down. And COVID just made things exponentially worse for our kids' mental health. And by the way, Jack, it's a global crisis. Yeah. We, we just talk about it more in the United States. I think we're actually better at identifying kids and treating them. But this has become a global crisis in child mental health. And I, I think your jungle metaphor is is, is compelling and, and apt. And we've said before, social media is wonderful, except when it's not. And I think this is one of those situations. Let me come back to something uh, you touched on before, and that's the, the genesis of, of your program of Healthy Minds Thriving Kids. What What's the concept behind it and, and what is the mission? Well, first and foremost, I think everybody, including the parents, could use these mental health fitness uh, techniques. I mean, we, we learned that we're supposed to sleep eight hours and we're supposed to exercise every day, but we need a new vocabulary. We do have to help kids. And our, these videos are built for elementary school, middle school, and high school, and from the ground up, by the way, in Spanish and in English. And is really thanks to um, Governor Gavin Newsom first partner, Jen Newsom, and a remarkable public figure named Mark Alley, who's the Secretary of Health and Human Services. And in 2021, the state of California put $4.7 billion into their budget for children's mental health. And one of the many projects that they started to fund was Healthy Minds Thriving Kids. The idea that just sending kids back to school and pretending that everything is going to be okay is problematic. That certainly the kids who are anxious before maybe didn't have such a tough time during COVID because they had access to their parents. They didn't have to separate. They didn't have to deal with the social interactions. Those kids need some more skills. They need new exercises. They need new tools. And by the way, teachers need more tools on helping kids with this. In the same way, this isn't social emotional learning. This is just mental health fitness skills that everyone should have. And the, we thought about how could we take this to scale? How could in a state like California that has 6 million public school students, uh, how could we do this? And the way to do it, we realized, was if we did compelling videos, videos that kids would enjoy, 
teacher curriculums that weren't overwhelming, and we didn't make it mandatory. We basically marketed to teachers and said, we have an interesting toolbox. It might be very helpful to you. If you spend 30 minutes on it, we'll give you a hundred bucks. We know you're overworked. And what happened was 60,000 teachers did it immediately and another 12,000 did it later and didn't get the $100. And now we have close to 80,000 educators who've reached 1.4 million students in the state of California. And they've given us feedback that says that these materials are engaging and more importantly, effective, that you can see kids being able to use these skills. And also working with professional movie makers, I think nothing is more deadly than having a scientist or a clinician talking to you on a screen. We're, we're great. We're hypnosis. We, we didn't know we're good at hypnosis. But when you go to creative people and we that's it was a big expense and sat with them with clinicians, they said to us, by the way, you want to get to little kids the way you get to five year olds and you manage to get to, you know, five to, let's say, eight or nine, you need hedgehogs. They showed me the hedgehog. These are humans dressed as hedgehogs. I thought this is absurd, but they focus grouped it on kids and kids got engaged with it. The middle school students and the high school students, we used real live kids from California and comedians who were talking to them. And the engagement and the fact that kids could watch some of these videos more than once meant that it was a success, that they weren't falling asleep and they were remembering the facts that are being taught and some of the skills that, that were so essential to giving them the wise moment, giving them the ability to calm down, the ability to understand that feelings have an effect on your body. I think it's so important, and you, you stress this, the notion of different paths for different age groups. Everything, same thing doesn't work for everybody. We've, we've realized that, and we should understand right. that in the educational process. Brings me to a, another clip I want to run here very quickly. And, and this one is uh, produced for high school age students, helping them understand how to manage their thoughts. Let's take a quick look at this. You know, I, I used to ask my brother for advice on text messages all the time, but he got so annoyed. Like, Reagan, stop overthinking. And I'm like, uh, they stopped using emojis. Are they mad at me? And then I'll be tempted to ask, but like, I don't know. I don't want to overthink it, but I am. So then I would ask my brother, do you think they're mad because they're not using emojis in their sentences anymore? They just stopped using emojis. Like, I, I was completely overthinking it. Okay, we're gonna get a little existential here and talk about thinking. Our thoughts are completely imaginary, but also very real. And at any time in your life, your thoughts can be negative. And those negative thoughts tend to set in during middle and high school. And we've all been there. Sometimes I think everything's gonna be all bad. I only have negative thoughts. I think about a lot about my relationship to other people. What if no colleges accept me, you know? Am I gonna mess up? Oh my God, you mess that up. Like, look at you, go again. Am I actually a certain way and I'm just perceiving myself wrong? What if like I tore my ACL and I never could dance again? What if someone else worked harder for this, but didn't get it? My parents are gone for like 10 more minutes. I'm like, dude, what if they got into a crash? What if they got robbed? What if they got stolen? What if I got here and robbers already took over my house? Maybe they don't like me anymore and they kind of abandoned me and moved out of the country. Maybe they just left me. Then I get all like depressed because I'm like, oh, there's no people and nobody likes me. And that's a hard thought to like kick. There are so many versions of overthinking. At their best, our thoughts are brilliant. 
and lead to changing the world and making great art or the invention of the ice cream sandwich. But often, they pop up and make it hard for us to be present when we're in the middle of doing something. My parents always tell me, you overthink. Do you ever have that moment where it's like after a conversation, you just realize, oh, I could have done this or done it this way. And one voice is telling you to worry about every little thing, things that you shouldn't be worrying about. And then one voice is telling you to not care about anything. And those two voices are really competing with each other. And then it's just like, ah, I don't know what to do. So now coming out of this, um, talk about from a clinical perspective, why are the ideas of, of negative thoughts so common at that age group? So let's let's talk about a child's brain, a teenager's brain, and an adult brain. And one of the reasons social media is so uh, particularly uh, risky for teenagers is that their brains are different. They feel more intense. They hate you. They love you. They're boiling. They're freezing. And when they tell you they're really upset, you have to believe them. You can't minimize it and say, oh, it's not such a big deal because it is a big deal. They are also moved by a peer group uh, with more influence than ever before. But the thing that every parent should remember, they still, parents are still the most influential factor, but teenage uh, teenagers are moved by their peer group. And in fact, I always think that when I was a kid and I said to my mother, teenager, I want to wear such and such clothing, everyone's wearing it. And my mother said, and if they were jumping off the George Washington Bridge, <laughs> would you jump off? The truth is, I would have jumped off. I, I wanted know. to. We, be... By the way, we, our mothers went to the same school because we all got the right. same line. Would you all jump right. off if they jump off? But you're right. The answer is you want you want to be it, like these people. Right? So because you feel everything so intensely, the rejection, the acceptance, and by the way, a teenage brain is a great time to learn stuff. Your, your brain is so much fresher. You still can learn a foreign language. You can still learn uh, advanced mathematics. Um, and therefore, the fact that you can turn so negatively that I am awful, I am worthless, um, that uh, that interaction is interpreted as an really on me being terrible. And I, I'm so embarrassed because I said this and everyone's going to remember that I said this. These kind of intense thoughts are really particular and specific for teenagers more, by the way, than for kids and adults. And so being able to understand your thoughts, what the power of the, how you can get power over them is so important. And the fact that we can do this with five minute clips, you know, everyone can pay attention to five minutes if it's engaging. And then the teacher has a curriculum that can reinforce it. And we have parent guides if parents want to go. So if your school is not adopting this, terrific. These are free videos, thanks to the you know funding from California, that you can use at any time. And most of the time, you could actually watch it, particularly with your young kids together. Um, I, I watched the video for understanding your feelings with my then four-year-old grandson. And remember, it was designed for five-year-olds. And I asked him what was the name of the characters, what happened, why were they upset? And I said, what did you learn? And he said, you could have two feelings at the same time. I said, great, what are the two feelings? He said, excitement and another feeling. I said, what was the other feeling? He said, I can't remember. I said, irritability. He said, I don't know what irritability is, which is perfect because he's not supposed to know. But the fact that grandpa and him could talk like this and the fact that he went home and told his parents, grandpa, let me watch a video. <laughs> you know, I thought, okay, I'm guilty as charged. But the next video, which we watched was about 
belly breathing and the ability to, to take your feeling and not let it upset your body. What are, what are some of the signs that, that parents or caregivers should be alert to? So I, I think that we all should know our kids. So what, what does that mean? Does your kid have a really good appetite? Do they like sweets or are they big car beaters or do they like hamburgers? Uh, are they passionate about sports? You know, are these kids who, you know, besides playing it, they just love watching it. They follow teams. Are they a loner? Are these kids who only have one or two friends? Or is your kid the mayor of the town and there's always another eight or nine kids in your house? How does your kid sleep? You know, there's a whole bunch of kids who have trouble sleeping, but there are others. They put their head on the pillow and they're out. And how are they doing at school? Do you always think this is easy? This is an A student or B? It's effortless. That's knowing your kid. And when there's a change, that's what I want parents to be aware of. If all of a sudden they're more isolated, if all of a sudden their appetite has changed, they're ravenous or they're, they're starving themselves, their phone is not ringing anymore or they're not if the phone is, I'm showing my age, they're not texting with friends all the time, or they're not going out, that's when you should say, you know what, that's a red flag. What, what's going on? And the need for these endless uh, open dialogue needs to happen. What's going on? I, you know, we could go to the, the Knicks, or we could go to the Mets, or we could go to the Yankees, the Giants, and they say, no, I'm not interested. Well, what happened? You're not, in, you don't like the team anymore. And it's so easy if you're not judgmental, and if you're just asking questions, I'm curious. I don't, I'm not trying to be intrusive. I'm curious. I want to understand what's going on. And if these change in behavior lasts more than two weeks, it's time to consider a quick call to the pediatrician to make sure nothing physically is wrong. And if nothing's physically wrong, don't hesitate to go get some help. The help should be, what is it? That's what you want from a mental health professional, a diagnosis. Do you know that the average parent in the United States waits eight years from the onset of symptoms until they go and get some help? That seems absurd to me. If your kid had a rash, you would, within 24 hours, you would go get them some uh, cortisone and then you go to the pediatrician five days later. Within two weeks, you'd be in the dermatologist's office. Your kid's brain is so much more important than their skin, not, not to take anything away from dermatology. But the fact is these are the most common illnesses of childhood and adolescence. The American Academy of Pediatrics has said more common than infectious disease. So, you, and the best news is they're all very treatable. This isn't psychoanalysis where your kid's gonna have to be in treatment for a year. The, the biggest advances that have been made in the last 20 years is in evidence-based psychotherapy. So psychosocial interventions like cognitive behavioral therapy, behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, these things work in 10 to 16 sessions. So the investment is really worth it because most of the time your kid's just learning new skills to diminish symptoms and to be able to have less distress in their life. I've got, I've got three or four minutes left. A couple of things I want to get to with you here. And one of them is something I've heard you talk about often, and, and that's the importance of reducing the stigma that surrounds mental health. Are we making progress with that? So I, I would tell you yes, and I don't have data, right? So yes, because, you know, in 2017, we started a campaign called Hashtag My Younger Self, and we were able to get a whole bunch of influential celebrities like Emma Stone and Jesse Eisenberg, and then Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, who has dyslexia, uh, Jay Leno, 
And we thought that was a big deal. But the number one diagnosis they wanted to talk about was learning disabilities. Over the years, we see that anxiety has come out of the closet. Uh, celebrities are willing to talk about their anxiety or their depression. I think that's a positive sign. What I worry about is that no one is really evaluating this. Even though more celebrities, more athletes who are so important to us because they're healthy looking and they're strong. And when they say like uh, Kevin Love, I, I have an anxiety disorder that needs treatment and I need to do the following things to manage it helps. But I think we should really look carefully because what bothers me most is that ment the insurance for mental health uh, disorders is not equivalent to physical health or physical disorders. And, and that means that there's a discrepancy. And I think it's the stigma that keeps parents and workers and companies from demanding insurance companies give equity. And so I think we're going in the right direction. I, I love the fact that you know governors are talking about it and they're spending money on it. Uh, and I think that you know, COVID got, helped us get out of the closet of the shame of mental health disorders. I worry that we'll go back in because we're going back to normal. Uh, but I don't know definitively if we're really making progress. I know that kids talk about it much differently than adults. Uh, when you watch what they're talking about on TikTok or on their channels, uh, you're amazed how people talk about the fact that I need to see a mental professional or I'm taking medication in a way that never occurred when I was a kid. In fact, I don't think anyone told anyone else they had a tutor, let alone that they were seeing a mental health professional. So, so Jack, I think it's good. I'm just not sure we have the proof that we're what we're doing is really making a change that insurance coverage will improve, that that eight-year distance from onset of symptoms to start of treatment is shrinking. Um, but I do know it's essential. We have to, it's one of our missions at the Chalman Institute. We're constantly looking at it. So I think it's it's a big barrier if we don't uh, decrease the stigma. Got a little bit less than a minute left. Somebody's watching us right now, listening to this and, and say, all right, I know someone that needs some help. Where do they go? I think the most important thing is to get more information. And it happens that childmind.org has a symptom checker. In the privacy of your home, you can put in the symptoms that your child or your teenager is experiencing, and it'll give you a differential diagnosis. It'll say it's one of five things. You are now better informed. You can now call the pediatrician and say, I, according to the symptoms my child has, it seems that it's a learning problem, or it seems that it's some kind of emotional, maybe mood disorder. Can you help me get to a mental health professional who has expertise in that area? I think the important part is that when a parent is better informed, they get help that's more specific and therefore will be more effective. Right. Well, the work you're doing, Healthy Minds, Thriving Kids, um, these partnerships are just so essential and so important to us, as you said, especially now, Dr. Harold Koplitz. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Um, you take care and we'll talk again soon. Yes, Jack, you take care. Thanks for tuning in to MetroFocus. You can take our award-winning program with you wherever you go with MetroFocus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play MetroFocus, the podcast. Also available at MetroFocus.org, WLIW.org slash radio, and on the NPR One app.